0: A dog a barks, barks when, when his master is attacked. I, I would be a, a coward if, if I saw that God's, God's truth is attacked and, and yet, yet would remain, remain silent. silent. John, John Calvin. <laughs> John Calvin. I do not. And don't you ever say I am. <laughs> There's probably, probably a, a balance, balance between and that. We have had no Christ, God but God.
1: He is. he is, and, and someone, someone knows this, knows for, this for sure. All mankind is going to end, end up somewhere. My mission really is just to help people relate to special people. To reach them and make them see that they've got things wrong in the past.
0: For those who are, those who are God by faith and Himself. <laughs> <laughs> Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians.
1: Victory,
0: victory in the, in the name, name which, which is, is above every- There's no, no exception, exception for rape or incest. Oh, it's, it's an exception. Extreme extreme. Right, right now, bones, bones ligaments, 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 tendons, in, in Jesus' name. name. Get, Get out, out here right, right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host, The Evangelical Norm. We are episode 52, and we are going to be back with our friends from Saints Unscripted, uh, faith and belief section of their podcast. Um, David has started a church history or history of Christianity uh, series. So um, he did last week up up to 300 A.D., And today he is going to cover another section and we're gonna get he's gonna get into uh, Constantine, Nicene Creed, uh, Council of Nicaea and stuff like that so um, as usual what we do here uh, I'll just let the video play and as I need to stop it and talk about it we'll stop and talk about it and and go from there so uh, with no further ado Here is our friend David from Saints Unscripted uh, Church History.
1: Hey guys, so this episode is technically a part two to this episode where we covered some 250 years of early Christian history. Feel free to check that out. If you haven't yet, we're going to start right where we left off. Let's do it.
0: Notice that, again, they call it Christian history. Um as he's saying it, we, as, as believers, we call it church history, but again, they are dealing with the fact that they believe that, uh, Christianity apostatized, uh, at the death of the, well, the apostles. So, um, they don't consider this, the church. Um, I find it interesting that they do call it Christianity, but So, um, just a little something to keep in mind as he goes in. They believe everything that they are talking about at this point is apostate.
1: So, we're at the end of the third century AD. Emperor Diocletian, who was big time anti-Christian, divides the Roman Empire into Eastern and Western halves and reorganizes the government into a tetrarchy, meaning there are four emperors ruling different quadrants but trying to rule as a team.
0: That idea is just the worst.
1: As years pass, though, the tetrarchy system proves to be problematic, and in the early 4th century, we find Emperor Constantine fighting for control of his Western Empire. In 312 AD, before a battle, he has, as the story goes, a vision of a Christian symbol in the sky with the words, in this sign prevail under it. That night, Christ tells him in a dream to have his soldiers paint the symbol on their shields. They win their battle, and now for the first time, we've got a Roman Emperor who believes the Christian God is on his side. Now, Constantine actually wasn't baptized until years later on his deathbed, and just how Christian he really was is debated. Many think his conversion was sincere, and many think it was just a political move. You can come to your own conclusions. The next year, he issues the historic Edict of Milan, which was later co-signed by the Eastern Emperor Licinius. It didn't make Christianity the empire's official religion, but it did legalize Christian worship, which was a huge deal. It's not just big, it's... In 324 AD, Constantine overthrows Emperor Licinius and reunites the eastern and western halves of the empire as the sole ruler. With him out of the way and no heir to the throne, I'll take over and rule the empire. Constantine hoped that Christianity would help unite the empire, but he'd quickly find out that Christianity itself was not united. After the apostles were gone, leadership of the church fell to local bishops. Bishops in more metropolitan areas or in churches established by apostles generally had the most influence. For example, the Bishop of Rome sometimes acted as a mediator when disagreements arose between other bishops, but the supremacy of the Bishop of Rome, later known as the Pope, was something that hadn't fully developed yet. When Christians ran into questions about their beliefs, resources for answers were limited, and different groups sometimes arrived at different conclusions on fundamental issues.
0: Okay, here's the first place we have to stop. That was an insinuation that the Bible didn't exist until 400 AD, um, which is not really true. I mean, the churches had writings. We know because there are thousands of manuscripts of of the Gospels and the Epistles and the Bible, um, the Torah, and so on, that were spread throughout um, the region of the church. And so that's why we have so many of them, because they were written down and copies were made and, and so on. So it wasn't as if they were with completely without Scripture. I mean, they didn't have a one book, uh, you know, chapter and verse like we have, but they had the Scriptures. They had the things that the apostles had given, the, the, the Gospels and, and the the epistles and so on. They had them. This was this was not something that they were completely without, and then with that, if you take the church fathers up until three hundred A.D. and take all of their writings, all of Scripture except for I think a few verses are there within their writings, within the writings of the early church fathers, uh, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, uh, guys like that. Although they they quoted scripture in their own writings to where you could take that and have all of scripture except for, again, except for a few verses within their writings. So the insinuation that they were without scripture is false. It's not true. Issues.
1: Now, Constantine was both the emperor and the Roman high priest or Pontifex Maximus. As such, after legalizing Christianity, he felt he had authority to regulate both paganism and Christianity in the empire. Under that authority, in 325 AD, Constantine invites 1,800 bishops to an all-expense-paid meeting at Nicaea, where it will be easier for Constantine to be present and take part in the council. About 300 bishops actually show up, almost exclusively from the East. The main question they set out to resolve was, who and what is Christ? The view of team Arius was that God the Father and Jesus Christ were two beings of two different substances and that Christ, who was created by the Father, was subject to the Father. The view of team Athanasius, on the other hand, was that God the Father and Jesus Christ were of the same substance, equal in power, and both eternal, never having been created. Both sides claimed their view was scriptural. And that was one of the problems. Scripture simply was not very clear on the subject. If it had been, this wouldn't have been an issue.
0: No, no. He's got a point. But by Actually, okay, and here's here's where we'll deal with the majority of this. Scripture is very clear on the issue. And the reason why, and he's gonna he's gonna show the the voting, the reason why Team Arius was so small was because Scripture was very clear. On the issue, let let him do this pie chart real quick.
1: A popular vote team, Athanasius prevailed. The Nicene Creed was born.
0: Okay, so as he shows in his little pie chart, there one percent were Team Arius. The ninety nine percent was Team Athanasius, as he puts it, because the Scripture is clear. That's why. That's why there was such a small group of people that were were buying into Arius's heresy. Because the scripture is clear, um, we have so much. I mean, Isaiah 44, uh, there, um, I pulled it up Isaiah 44 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, as his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it, let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed the ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not nor be afraid for i have told you from old and declared it and you are my witnesses is there a god besides me there is no rock i know not any isaiah 45 also uh says if i can find it uh the lord the only savior of god of israel where did it go I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret. Uh, so again, um, Isaiah makes it very clear. Paul gets us. I can't find the, the exact verse that I wanted. Again, it was very similar. I uh, Should have should have bookmarked these before. I am I forty five five. I am the Lord, and there is no other beside me. There is no God. So. Uh, And then if you go back to Genesis one, so let's, let's just get into the, 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 the gist of what is the Trinity Genesis one in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? He said, let there be light that word, God, Elohim, which the Mormons use as the name of God, the father the who lives on a planet near kolob who had all the the billions of spirit children who came to earth and 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 lived a human life they name him elohim problem is with that that word elohim means gods it is a plural word for god it is a multiple gods but in that in that instance in in the beginning, God created. The verb, now you get into Hebrew, Mormons, I mean, so many of these, these videos that David has made talks about the Hebraisms and in and, and the Book of Mormon and stuff like that. But yet they ignore the fact that the Hebrew here makes it very clear that this this plural word for God is a, always in reference to a singular when it's dealing with the almighty uh, has a singular verb in the beginning, God plural word created singular verb in the Hebrew indicating that there is a plurality to this God, but he is acting singularly with everything that, and it's a, it's a unique situation. Every time the word Elohim is used in the old Testament in regard to The Almighty, it is a plural word with a singular verb. There is no other God beside him. And then we get into the New Testament. We get into the claims of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. If Jesus was not who he claimed to be, then he was a heretic and he's to be ignored, even in the Mormon sense. If, if, if Jesus, the, the claims that he made, and he didn't just claim to be the son of God, the spiritual offspring of Elohim and a spirit wife and a heavenly mother, Jesus did not make that claim. Over and over and over, Jesus makes it very clear that his claim is deity. To make it, I mean, the most, the most blatant is when he's confronted by the, the Pharisees and they're they're trying to you know get him to you know compromise or whatever to, to uh, what's the word um, I'm looking for I can't never can come to my mind until uh, uh, tell twenty minutes from now that word will pop into my head but they're they're trying to get him to uh, to kind of implicate himself in and commit blasphemy and in their eyes he does there there's this argument going on and jesus says to them um your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and they looked at him they said how do you know abraham you're not even 50 years old and here is one of the most blatant places where jesus makes the claim to deity he says i tell you the truth before abraham was i am Ego I me, the exact same thing that God told Moses in the Old Testament. I am that I am. And they recognized it and they tried to kill him then for blasphemy, not because he was claiming to be a prophet, not because he was claiming to be the spiritual offspring of Elohim and and heavenly mother. He was he was proclaiming himself to be the I am. God, in the flesh, God incarnate. John gives it to us in, in in John chapter one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul tells us it, he was in very nature God. Uh, Peter talks about that the fullness of deity dwelt within him. Was it Peter or Paul? Uh, but so all these scenes throughout scripture makes it very clear that Jesus is not similar. He is the same substance that is God, eternal, uh, omnipotent, omnipresent, all the characteristics of God he jesus expresses these and then we also see the the same terminology used for the holy spirit so this is where we get the trinity each one is worshiped each one uh expresses the the uh non-communicable uh attributes of god and so we this is where and scripture is very clear on this this is this is why team arius was so small Because scripture is very clear on the Trinity. It wasn't something that just became at the Council of Nicaea. It was solidified that this is what is Orthodox teaching. Those of you teaching the other view are heretical because this is what scripture is clear on. This wasn't just guys getting together and making stuff up like we have exhibited throughout Mormonism, you know just randomly changing theologies as Joseph's theology e- evolved. So this is, this is uh, core. This is one of the main core uh, orthodox beliefs of Christianity.
1: And the doctrine of the Trinity was put into words. Now, is Trinitarianism actually scriptural? Some say yes, Yes. some say no. According to a University of Edinburgh professor of divinity, the proposition constitutive of the dogma of the Trinity was not drawn directly from the New Testament and could not be expressed in New Testament terms. They were the product of reasons speculating on a revelation of faith and were only formed through centuries of effort, only elaborated by the aid of the conceptions and formulated in the terms of Greek and Roman metaphysics.
0: That's absolutely false. And I've just given you all of the uh, expressions in the New Testament terms and all of the places where it was drawn from the New Testament and the Old Testament. So this, I I mean, okay, so you've got an Encyclopedia Britannica theism. It's wrong. Wrong. Sorry. There you go. It's also important to recognize that according
1: to Catholic historian Carl Hefele, this council was, for Constantine, much more an affair of the state than an affair of the church. He worried little that they approve Arius or Athanasius, but he worried a great deal that the majority should arrive at a conclusion of which he could make use to impose silence on the opponents, no matter who they
0: were. Ari- okay, and that again is, is meaningless. I don't, who cares what the, the purpose was for Constantine? Again the reality of it was you had a large group of people who understood what the scripture said, who came in and went, the Trinity is scriptural. And then you had a small group of people in Arius who said, well, no, we don't believe that. And so whether or not, I mean, you're, these are, this is a red herring. This is a, exactly, it's a straw man. It It's well, not really a straw man. It's a red herring. It's a distraction um, from what is actual, who cares what Constantine's purpose behind it, whether it was an affair of the state or the church, it still solidified the scriptural belief that the Trinity, that God is triune."
1: Arius and two bishops who didn't get on board with the council's decision were banished by Constantine, though there were a few supporters of Arianism like Eusebius who agreed to subscribe with hand only, not heart. Of course, after the council, Christians continued to argue about Arianism. The irony being that before Constantine dies, he unbanishes Arius, banishes Athanasius, is baptized by Eusebius. His son fights against Trinitarianism. It's just a big mess. Nonetheless, the doctrine of the Trinity, with its basis in the Nicene Creed and later expanded upon in other councils.
0: Its basis is in scripture, not just in the Nicene Nicene Creed. The basis for the trinity is in scripture and I've just given that to you.
1: Would eventually become authoritative to this day in the Catholic faith and in much of Protestantism. It has become for many the measuring stick by which it is determined who is really Christian and who is not. And as a side note, this is one reason why some people don't think Latter-day Saints are Christians, because we don't accept this creed as a revelation from God. But while the rise of...
0: It's not because you don't accept the creed. That's that's where, again, the deception of it, it's you reject the doctrine of the Trinity. You believe that, and here is the thing, if you don't have the nature of God right, you don't know God. I mean, now and again, the nature of God is so big that we'll never truly know fully in this life the full concept of who God is. I mean, he is huge. He is un- unending, you know um, uh, yeah, boom, there you go. So it's not that, so if, if you, but if you do not have these basic, uh, revelations that God has given of who he is, father, son, Holy spirit, uh, co-eternal co, uh, um, co-equal, um, with a, um, an economic hierarchy, there is submission from the, the Son to the Father and the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son. But they are equal. They are one God. They are one nature. They have one will. And it's very clear throughout Scripture that this is who God is. If you reject that, then you're rejecting God. You're rejecting salvation. You are walking in heretical belief, you know, to believe that Elohim God the father who has a physical body uh, which is not scriptural not biblical has a physical body of flesh and bone had sex with a uh, heavenly mother whether it's just one or you know the you know the extreme is he's got millions or billions of of spirit wives um i mean who know i mean that's that's kind of an extreme uh you know words are escaping me tonight i don't know why um but if that is your belief and that with that the result of that relationship is jesus the holy spirit apparently who never really gets a body or a name or anything but would have to by that logic still be an offspring of, of elohim and a spirit wife. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he's Elohim's brother. I don't, who knows? We never really get that. But if that is your belief, if you believe that Elohim had sex with a, a spirit woman, gave birth to Yeshua or Jehovah or however you want to call his name, um, and Lucifer and Michael and every other being, then your, then your belief of the nature of God and who God is is contrary to Scripture. And that is why, not because the Mormons don't accept the Nicene Creed. It's because they reject the scriptural basis of who God is. And so that's the reason why we can look at this. And that's the reason why we can take the Trinity and go, this is a plumb line. This is a a manner in which we determine orthodoxy. If you reject the Trinity... Which is, the Bible is, again, it's very clear that God is triune. If you reject that, then you have rejected the Father, you've rejected the Son, you've rejected the Holy Spirit, you've rejected the, the salvation that is given by the Son, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You've rejected those things, so you are not Christian. You are not Orthodox. That is why we can determine that Mormonism is not Christian, it's not Orthodox, not because you reject a creed, but because you reject the clear teaching of the Bible. Christianity was going great for
1: the Christians. It would prove to be not so great for the pagans. In the next episode, we'll see how those that had been persecuted for so long would become the persecutors themselves. Well, well, well. How the turntables? Check out the links and some of my notes in the description. All
0: right, so there we go. That's the end of it. And again, understand that the the Saints Unscripted people will use these funny clips to, uh, if they can make you laugh. It's it's a it's a tactic. It. I hate to use the term gaslighting in this, and I, but I guess it is a a, a kind of a gaslighting, um, a brainwashing, if you will. Uh, tactic of taking these little funny things and if you can laugh through some of this stuff then you know it, it makes it where you you believe it easier I guess or it, it uh, softens a blow on something that you would really go wait a minute that's that's kind of not true but then they give you a little funny clip to to do di- it's a distraction it, it's a distraction just like the the quotes that were given so there you have it um christian history uh through i mean not very much of it I've really only got to from 300 to 325 ish or 400 um so we'll see where david takes us next week and we'll we'll deal with that from there so um again but understand this if you're my mormon friend and you're watching this then understand that there is there is tons of scriptural basis for the trinity and that is who god is father son holy spirit one god triune eternal no beginning no end jesus has no beginning no end he said i'm the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end he has he, he comes from before time you know before the foundations of the earth he was there co-eternal with the father that is what scripture teaches us That is who Jesus is. The Jesus of of Mormonism cannot save you. And you need to get away from it. And you need to run. For my Christian friend, as always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words because they're necessary. And until next week, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm.